0: This is The Signal Cafe, where we bring you stories and lessons from the Agile community. Our show is planned, produced, and promoted using an Agile approach, so we rely heavily on listener feedback. Please reach out to us on social, or leave us a review on iTunes, or just send us an email at jack at and let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you'd like to see in future episodes. Uh, we look forward to hearing you, hearing from you. And today we're speaking with Allison Pollard. Allison's an Agile coach and consultant and a frequent blogger. And I just noticed before the show that you've been on like 20 podcasts. So the <laughs> a podcast pro. Allison, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. I'm, I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks. So tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got started in Agile coaching and consulting. And what are you most passionate about outside of work?
1: Oh, geez. Outside of work. Oh my goodness. Well, okay. To, to start off, I, I am an agile coach and consultant. I live in Dallas, Texas. I work for a company called Improving. And for us, you know, agile coaching is one small piece of what we offer. Uh, our mission is really around trust. Uh, and we firmly believe that trust changes everything. Uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on that again later. Um, but my path into becoming an Agile coach uh, started way back when I, I had been a project manager. I started hearing about Agile uh, and became a Scrum Master. And then I had the really great opportunity to mentor other Scrum Masters and suddenly found myself being referred to as the Agile Coach. And so after getting over some imposter syndrome, I learned you know what it really meant to be an Agile Coach and have gone through professional coaching training uh, and gotten certified in that area and really think it's important that we increase our skills not only in facilitation and coaching and teaching, um, but also really strengthen our muscles on the agile side and continue to learn what's going on in, in that side.
0: So I know what imposter syndrome is. I'm very, very familiar with it. Um, for anybody that doesn't know on the call or on the on the show, can you tell the listeners a little bit about imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah, it's that it's that very common human feeling that oh my goodness, I'm a fraud. Uh, it's that feeling that like I'm I'm having to fake it until I make it. Um, I'm worried that I'm going to get found out or caught. Um, you know, I I remember when I first started, you know, as an agile coach. You know, I, I just found myself walking into a client and, and not really knowing uh, a whole, whole lot about the organization and, and what was needed. Um, and the more I learned, I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can do this. I can help some new Scrum Masters, you know, work with Scrum teams and, you know, get the, the basics of Agile, uh, you know, in place. But there was that fear of, you know, what if I'm not good enough? Uh, what, what if my client, uh, you know, thinks that, I should be more expert somehow and and that I'm not able to to handle that. Uh, And what I've learned over time is that, you know, we're all on our own journeys and we're all constantly learning. And I enjoy working with my clients and telling them, you know, here are the things that I'm learning about. You know, like, I'd love for you to come to this class with me or, you know, I'm going to be going to this conference and here are some sessions I'm really excited about. I'd love for you to, to be there with me. Because uh, then we can have the follow-on conversations and talk about, you know, how might that apply in your organization, or or does it even make sense? Uh, maybe it was just a really interesting idea, and we choose not to use that.
0: Yeah, I think being open about that is so so key, and just being um, really transparent about what like what you know and what you're good at, and, and what you don't know, and what you're currently learning. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, the nature of consulting is you're often working with like super smart people, right? Like all the time. (laughs) And they know a ton of things about whatever industry that you're in that maybe I didn't know. So you were a project manager, became a scrum master uh, Mm -hmm. and started being referred to and actually acting in the role as the agile coach for the organization. When you look at agile coaching and try to mentor and train up other new scrum masters or new agile coaches what does that process mm-hmm. look like and where do you start
1: um it's 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 funny because it was usually like you felt like you were making it up as you went along um but in the last you know 2 years or so i have found it very very helpful to actually talk a bit about you know like what are my strengths and what am i like as an agile coach and then have the conversation of like what might they be like as a scrum master or as a coach themselves? Because what my clients really uh, appreciate about me in particular is they say I, they love they love my brain. Um, I do bring a lot of agile knowledge and experience to the table. I am more than happy to tell them you know things that I've been reading about or like point them to interesting articles uh, and really getting them thinking outside the box. Well, my concern has been if a scrum master sees the way that I am and thinks that they need to emulate that behavior, or even like that wealth of knowledge, they're going to have such a huge learning curve. And that might not be the thing that makes the most sense given their strengths. Right. Um, so I, I've started using strengths finders, uh, in a couple instances with people so that we get a, a better language around like, what is it that makes Allison, you know, Allison? And then like, what is it that makes you, you? Like, what are the things that you are, you're talented in and that are going to make you stand out? And I will absolutely help you, you know, build up your agile awareness and, and your knowledge around that. And we're gonna make sure that you get experiences where you are facilitating, you are getting to coach. Um, but like, what is it that you're gonna bring to the table in those instances? Uh, and so one person in particular, uh, there's another podcast um, recorded with her, I was really excited about. Um, but her key strengths were really around like relator and empathy. And so when I would see her in action, I could see like how strong the relationship was between her and team members uh, that she could be kind of clunky in her language at times. Uh, and, and like, you know, ask them to change things. And they would go along with it because they had such a high trust in her. Uh, and it's one of those things where, you know, if, if I had tried to use the same language as, as what you know she was saying, there's no way I would have been able to influence them or, or, you know, have them change because we didn't have that strong like foundation the way that she did. And so recognizing that, you know, she had that super skill around connecting with people that I did not have made it a lot easier for us to talk about, you know, like what are the ideas or what are the concepts that a team might need and then give her all the freedom in the world to do it however it felt most natural for her to do.
0: I love that. There's so many soft skills and so many different approaches to coaching and Mm -hmm. acting in the role of a scrum master and acting in any role. Um, But you mentioned, you know, you might be really strong in empathy and be a relator. You might be this super charismatic facilitator and public speaker. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're super technical and you can help out in, you know, really help out in that sort of a way. Maybe you're super process focused and organized. There's so many different strengths that somebody can bring to that role. But you don't want to emulate what you've seen somebody else do and try to make that right. be the key. That's awesome. Yeah. And it just makes sense, right? But it's also something that I'm sure a lot of people uh, miss.
1: It For sure. Because we we know like there are those role models that we have and we think, man, if I could just be like them, you know, like I would be so great. And there's definitely something to learn from other people of like, what does it mean to be like really extroverted and high energy and like get a a group pumped up and excited about something. Uh, And I'm thinking about one of my coworkers in particular who does that extremely well. One of our trainers. Um, Whereas for me, like my natural state is to be much more introverted. Uh, I I will ask questions. Uh, I I'm, Going to come out with some like very direct observations at times, and and say, you know, I, I hear you saying this, but then you're about to do this other thing, and and those don't feel like they're congruent with one another. Like, let's make that the thing that we talk about now, because something doesn't feel quite right.
0: So you brought up trust earlier, you, and you yeah. also said that that's huge at improving. Um, it talking is about trust.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting. So our our CEO had been at an event a couple years back, uh, and there was a, a keynote speaker who asked the question, you know, to this room full of CEOs, you know, how many of you trust your IT organizations? And there were only six hands in the entire room that went up. Now, thankfully, my CEO was one of them, um, but, you know, that moment really just kind of hit him hard. And, and he wondered, like, what is going on, you know, in companies where IT has such little trust? Um, because, you know, I think we all recognize now that, you know, software and, and technology are really driving companies. The, the software delivery performance of your organization absolutely impacts your overall organization performance. Uh, we see that in the state of DevOps reports and some other research findings. And so the idea around like how do we as, as consultants, you know, as technologists, help raise the profession and help build more trust um, in environments where we are working uh, was really like our call to arms. Um and so we think, you know, it, it's important to to extend trust and to be a trusted leader uh in the client organizations where we're working.
0: Yeah. So, what does that look like? How do you improve that trust? I I know that it's uh, different in every single situation, and I know it depends on where you're starting, but what are some of the key, um, I guess, areas that, that you look to improve or that you look to target when trying to improve trust between the business and IT?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so for us, you know, we've been reading and, and going through training around speed of trust, um, you know, by Covey. And so it's given us a nice shared language, um, to work with. Uh, and so, you know, within our own company, we, we might talk about, um, you know, how are we creating transparency or how are we clarifying expectations? Um, where do we need to talk straight? Uh, and, you know, as you interact with us, you might start to recognize some of that language uh, coming through in the, you know, conversations that we have, you know, with the community and, and with our clients. Um, right now, like I'm, I'm thinking to the the organization I've been working with and, you know, if you can imagine this like large enterprise that has been doing agile for a number of years, and now they're really trying to take it to the next level. Um, you know, they're talking DevOps. Um, they're looking at becoming product based and, there's a lot of change that comes with all of that, you know, from skills and technologies, um, you know, restructuring of, of teams and, and organization. And so through that, you know, I, I come at it and I see this like, you know, through the lens of trust, you know, like if you're suddenly reporting to a new manager, your ability to, to trust them might be a bit low because you don't know what to expect from them and they don't know what to expect from you. Uh, and so I look at, you know, how can I maybe help facilitate some of the conversations, um, that allow people to, to just hear from one another? Like, like, what's your perspective on this? Or like, what's your thinking? Um, and create more space, like more time, um, for that to happen. And I also see, you know, there, there are times where you're talking to leaders in particular. And, you know, I think we all have this, this dream that like, if we can just find like the perfect solution or the perfect process, um, then we just like roll it out, you know, a- across the organization. Like everyone will just latch on to it and adopt it immediately because it's so beautiful and it's so perfect.
0: Right. Well,
1: I, I of course look at it and go, you know, when you, there's a whole lot of humans involved, it's not going to be that easy. Um, and so I try to encourage, you know, how do we have team members um, involved, at least in some of the conversations, so they can understand, like, how are we getting to certain technologies or how are we getting to certain processes or certain changes that might be happening within the organization? Um, because if they're the ones that ultimately need to be on board, um, you know, with this new way of working and, and ideally that they end up having like ownership of it. I want their input, not just their feedback later. Uh, and so I, I help to encourage, like, how are we creating the forums or, or how are we, like, finding them and, and talking with them and, like, really hearing, like, what's on their minds.
0: I love what you said about let's get actual input, not just feedback after you've rolled it out. I think that that's super powerful. Before the call, you said something about, um, and and you just hinted at it. It's hard to just take something, whether it's a framework like SAFe or Less Mm -hmm. or Nexus or you know strict Scrum, and roll it out and just say, "Hey, this is awesome. It's packaged. Everybody, do this." Right. Uh, And we were talking about maybe starting with just the practice of retrospectives or just the practice of X, Y, or Z. Um, Talk a little bit about what you've seen and how you've approached in the past where, um, maybe you have a very traditional waterfall organization that's running waterfall project management. There are no, um, or very few people experienced with agile coaching or, or very few scrum masters. Where would you start in that situation?
1: It's, it's funny as you ask that. Um, cause I, I think looking at my career, um, I very rarely am the one that comes into like that really traditional organization. Um, you know, my sweet spot has been more of like people that are like already flirting with agile um, or they're, they're certainly wanting to like take it to the next level. Um, but more often than not, you know, they're wanting to also invest in the technical skills um, where I am then, you know, partnering with a technical coach or a technical advocate um, of some sort. But if I think to like a, a traditional organization and like how you might handle it, you know, I think some of us love the idea of like that, like I want to be the positive disruptor. Like I want us to just like go all in on, you know, say Scrum, or we're all going to flip to Kanban or, or like whatever that framework is. And there are ways I think that you can make that happen. Um, in our company, you know, we sometimes talk about you know, how do we, you know, allow for people to attend training and like, we learn a bit more about like what this framework is and get a sense of like, what might it be like to do it? You know, I'm thinking about like a very hands-on scrum class, for example, where we're getting the experience of being a team and building something together and tracking our work, you know, through a product backlog and a sprint backlog, for example. So after going through the training class and having discussions around, like, what is this thing and, like, what could it be like for us if we did it? You're then asking the team, are you willing to try this? You know, can we do this for about a, a month or maybe six weeks or so? And you want it to be a, a very, like, safe environment where it's really going to be okay for them to say no or yes. Right. Um, and I, I think all of us, are like, please, please, please say yes. Um, because if you say no, we might not know where we go from there. Um, so that's one approach to be able to like flip, you know, just leap right into like the next framework. Um, in other situations, I, I know from, you know, some of my colleagues, you know, they're really good at being like really pragmatic. Um And so, you know, first understanding, like, how do things work in this organization? Like, who who does what? Um, how do we track the work? How do we know what's what's most important to be working on? What are the steps um, that we take to to you know get things to production? Uh, and as they gain that understanding, you know they might start making these small suggestions um, to do things in a slightly more agile way. Uh, so I, I know from talking to one of our scrum masters recently, she's been in a, a you know traditional organization. And uh, the team has been, you know, under a lot of pressure, you know, trying to meet their timelines, which I, I think all of us can relate to um, at some point in our careers. And so she had been telling them about retrospectives, you know, this idea of like, let's take some time as a team and talk about like, how have things been going? You know, like, how is it that we're approaching the work? Uh, but let's identify some ways that we could improve things. And, you know, the the first couple of times that, you know, she would mention this to the team, they're like, oh, no, no, there's no way. We can't take the time for that. You know, we need to stay heads down and and keep doing the work in order to meet our timeline. And she did a a very nice job of saying, okay, I, I understand. And if we don't do a retrospective, you know, here's what might happen. You know, we we still might not meet that timeline, and we're not going to find better ways of working that could have gotten us closer to that. So things could be getting much more painful if we're not taking the time to reflect. Uh, this this is an open door. I'm always willing to do a retrospective. So as you can perhaps imagine, you know, a little bit more time passes. And then there comes the day where the team says, okay, Scrum Master, um, we're ready for that retrospective thing that you've been telling us about you know, things have gotten so hard and and so challenging on our side. Like, we need to get in the room. And like, we want you to facilitate this because like, we, we don't know where to go from here. Uh, and so I, I appreciate our consultants that are able to be like, so with our clients. And, you know, introduce ideas. And, and, you know, Follow their timing on like, when are they ready, um, for that next big step? Whether it's, you know, as simple as, as like one team and one retrospective that could be absolutely powerful and like really change the way that they're approaching their work and the way that they're feeling in their environment, you know, from that point forward or you know what would it mean for us to do something like a sprint review like let's actually show the the product that we've been creating to our stakeholders and maybe even our customers and talk about like this is this is what we thought was important and and these were the features that we added and you know like what do you think of this and and like what what are our competitors doing and how might it you know, influence where we head next, and what else is going on, like in the industry and in the market, and and what the rest of the customers that like we need to be paying attention to, uh, and having that conversation around, like where are we with the product and where are we headed next, um, that can be really, really powerful.
0: I want to repeat what you said about a good agile coach being so with the team that it's really clear when the team is ready for the introduction to a specific ceremony or practice, Um, and that's really by collecting feedback and and conveying the value of that practice uh, over time. Make sure to get input from everybody, um, everybody that's going to be in the process or everybody that's going to be doing this new thing, and not just feedback after it's been rolled out, Mm -hmm. and really get buy-in, get input and buy-in. And, and I think part of that buy-in is, like you said, presenting it as an experiment, right? We're not going to, we're not saying that we're going to do this forever. Um, we're going to try it for six months and right, we're going right. to take this. And what parts of it are going to really provide the most value? What do we need? So if you were to give one piece of advice to uh, a new agile team, a new scrum master, a new coach, um, what has helped you the most or, or what would you, what, what's kind of maybe the most uh, um, wide sweeping piece of advice that, that you think
1: some people- <laughs> Oh man, that's a, that's a big question. Um, but what what's coming up for me is so having gone through the agile fluency game workshop and the the diagnostic cohort really digging into the agile fluency model really changed the way that I, I think as an Agilist. Um, so I, I really recommend people go read the Agile fluency model because I, I think so often we get hung up on like whole frameworks. And what I love about the model is that it's actually putting more emphasis on like what are the benefits that like the organization is wanting or like that the leaders are, are needing um, to see from the teams and then let's talk about like what are the capabilities that we need from the team. And so that's why i I do think more about individual practices, like what does a retrospective do for a group of people versus what would a, a sprint review or some kind of a demo do um, rather than thinking, I must bring in all of scrum or I must bring in you know all of safe or you know insert framework here. I think if we can really understand like those individual practices and the benefits that they bring, it gives us a lot more um, freedom and creativity, uh, I think, as a coach to recognize that there's more than one way um, for us to, to get agility for an organization.
0: I think that's so true. And really just understanding what the value is with each specific part that you're introducing.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, cause I, I think it's so easy for us to, to think, well, you know, Scrum as a framework is valuable because it was designed to be valuable. And like we do retrospectives because Scrum said to do retrospectives. And, and so, you know, I found that, you know, I could be getting lazy, uh, as an agile coach. If I'm not explaining, you know, the why behind components of it well enough of like, well, th- this is what the book says. So we're, we're just going to do it that way. Versus, you know, what would it mean for me to really challenge myself and explain this well that you understand the benefit of any particular practice or any particular role um, that you're more willing to to consider it because you at least recognize like what it's trying to do.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of like thinking like, and this might sound cheesy, but it's kind of thinking like a product manager or a marketer of mm. the process, right? Um, it's not always clear, um, it should be, but it's not always clear what that value is. And so even if you know, um, it shouldn't be assumed that everybody involved um, really understands that. So kind of going back to that on a regular basis and making sure that it never becomes muddied, I think is super valuable.
1: I I like that idea of like agile coach as like product manager, right. In a, in a way that you are, um, helping to design, you know, with, with the organization, you know, like what, what is this agile, uh, you know, way of working as a product, um, like going to be for us? Like what, what are the features it's going to have? Like, what is it going to be able to do? What benefits do we get from it?
0: Yeah. So. This has been awesome. Allison, what are you working on now? What, uh, what would you like to tell the listeners? Where can they find you online? And what are you super excited about in the, in the coming future?
1: Oh, um, okay. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't really talk about um, at the beginning, like, what do I do outside of work? Um, and I think that's because most of my outside of work sounds like work um, to other people. Um, part of my joy is attending Agile conferences and speaking at them. Uh, particularly when I have the opportunity to to work with different co presenters, uh, and so this year I, I've had a couple different co presenters that I'm new to working with, and I've been really excited partnering with them and um, getting to hear their stories and and you know help share um, you know our experiences with a, a broader audience. Sure. And so uh, if you want to know like where I'm going to be, or or if you'd love to you know just talk more you can find me at my blog um alisonpollard.com uh, it has a list of the you know conferences and some of the different talks that i'll be doing um, i'd also love to just you know hear from people like what what's going on in their organization you know how are they seeing agile uh, and, and what are they trying as a coach
0: i think your events page is so cool and i think it's so neat to invite all of the people out there to come and say hi to you and to, if they're, if you're going to be there, I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. Um, I'll make sure to link to your blog and the events page and all of the things you can find Allison on Twitter as well at uh, Allison underscore Pollard. Uh, mm-hmm. Her website is Allisonpollard.com And I will link to all of those things in the show notes. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties.
1: (laughs) It gets to the best of us at times.
0: Hey, this has been great. Have a wonderful day and thank you so much again.
1: Thanks.